We often joke that CPT editorial panel is the only place where you can spend 15 minutes talking about putting a comma someplace. But we're, we're down to that level of detail because those things can mean millions of dollars depending on how you do that. So we have to be very deliberate with that process. That's Dr. Mark Sinovec, chair of the CPT editorial panel. In today's episode of Moving Medicine, he's joined by Dr. Chris Jagman, vice chair of the CPT editorial panel and chair of the CPT assistant editorial board. In this part one of a two-part series on moving medicine, Dr. Sinovec and Dr. Jagman are interviewed by Leslie Prowitz, Director of CPT Content Management and Development at the AMA. Together, they talk about how CPT evolved to meet challenges brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic and why its evolution matters in healthcare crises. Here's Leslie Prowitz. Hello, and welcome to Moving Medicine. I'm Leslie Prowitz, Director of CPT Content Management and Development at the AMA. I have two special guests here with me to discuss some important questions about CPT, specifically how a 50-plus-year-old credible terminology faces off against the challenges of healthcare crises like the COVID pandemic. Our guests are Dr. Chris Jagman, Vice Chair of the CPT Editorial Panel and Chair of the CPT Assistant Editorial Board, and Dr. Mark Sinovic, chair of the CPT editorial panel and chair during the COVID-19 pandemic. How are each of you doing today? We're great. Doing well, Leslie. Wonderful. Great. Thank you both for being with us today. So to start us off, I'd like to take some time and have each of you tell us how you progressed on your respective CPT journeys. Uh, Dr. Sinovic, would you like to go first? Wow, it started a long, long time ago when I had hair and it wasn't all gray. Um, I actually got involved in the early 1990s through my specialty society, the College of American Pathologists. Um, and uh, I kind of got into that area about the same time that, that a lot of organized medicine was getting, uh, understanding the importance of having residents involved. And so I was uh, one of the first residents involved in the CP or CAP committee's structure. Um, and uh, they were looking for someone to be in a CPT advisor at the time. I barely knew what CPT was. And I said, sure, that sounds like fun. I'm interested in getting involved. And it's just progressed from that point on. I started out as an advisor, uh, obviously, through the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, uh, and I just kept being interested and involved um, and then got involved uh, through the CPT editorial panel about the time that molecular diagnostics was really becoming uh, pushed to the forefront. And so that kind of threw me into a, a special niche that was uh, obviously something that happened, uh, I guess we started the that process in 2009 and it continues to grow in complexity. Uh, and fortunately we had other people helping uh, me at the helm. Uh, one of those including Dr. Jagman who's uh, went from from family practice into molecular diagnostics being thrust into that, but has done a, a great job through that. So uh, it's been a long run, but but very enjoyable at the same time. Wow, that is an amazing evolutionary story that you've got there. Um, so, and it sounds like you and Dr. Jagman have a little bit of past history. So uh, Dr. Jagman, I'll ask you the same question to talk a little bit about, you know, your CPT journey and before getting into the CPT process and infrastructure, what was your connection? Did you follow a similar path? No, I didn't. My, mine was a little more precipitous. So mm. I, was, I was running a coding committee for America's Health Insurance Plan, the trade organization for health plans in the United States. 
And I casually mentioned that, you know, I'd like to learn more about this CPT process thing someday. And they said, well, we'll put you in line to think about it. We always, the, the AHIP has a representative on the panel uh, who serves in one of the seats. Okay. So three days prior to the meeting in San Francisco in 2011, the nominee for that seat vacated because his company wouldn't let him do it. And I received a phone call saying, uh, and we know it's short notice, but how would you like to be on the CPT editorial panel? <laughs> so oh it, was, it was three days notice. I jumped on a plane to San Francisco. I walked into a, a subcommittee meeting from molecular pathology work group, of which I was now the co-chair. And, and the chair or the other co-chair, Dr. Sinovic, was nowhere to be found. So I had a very interesting, <laughs> interesting uh, start to my CPT career. Oh, my goodness. Well, I have a feeling that's one of those questions where you expressed an interest and you probably uh, got more than you ever thought you would get for, in terms of a response on that one. That I did. Uh, yeah, but an, an amazing path, an amazing path. So uh, it's very interesting the differences that you see when uh, talking to someone who is working uh, in a practicing specialty versus from a payer perspective. Um, two very different viewpoints there. And Dr. Sinovic, I'd like to ask you, you know, as a practicing pathologist, uh, you were in a unique position to see a lot of the advancements you led in CPT during this unprecedented time. And we'll get a little bit more into some of the details of the COVID pandemic in a little bit. But Obviously, I'm sure you saw a lot of this directly impact the work you do every day. Um, so I'd be very curious, in what ways does your day job uh, fuel and inform your CPT leadership work? Well, that, that's a great question, Leslie. Obviously, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, but, I, but I can tell you from my perception, I'm, I'm obviously hospital-based. Uh, I'm practice on the medical staff, so I'm involved in and in, in, interact with a lot of different specialties. Um, and the thing that's nice here is that uh, when you're in CPT, you know, uh, Dr. Jagman uh, doesn't sit solely as a, a payer rep. I don't sit as a pathologist. We sit there as physicians uh, for the AMA trying to use our better or best judgment uh, to come up with a, 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 the right answers or right and ask the right questions for the code set. Um, and, and in that process, it requires us to be knowledgeable about all these different areas uh, because I, I look at every tab, Dr. Jagman and all the other panel looks at all those different tabs and it forces us to stay contemporary. And so I, you know, a lot of the future of medicine seems like we're getting more and more pigeonholes and, and, and more siloed. Uh, this forces us to jump out of that. And so I clearly think I have a better understanding than the average pathologist on what's going on in behavioral health and surgery and, and, and all the gamuts of, of medicine, uh, which is really refreshing and, and it really helps me uh, communicate uh, back at the home, so to speak, um, to deal with those things. And, and I think it, it makes us all uh, better balanced in that process. Wow, fantastic. And you raised an interesting point there, that uh, participation in the CPT editorial panel process really helps you to expand your horizons beyond what you might have done had you focused specifically in the specialty that you've been practicing in. Uh, which raises an interesting question, and Dr. Jagman, you kind of put this together a little bit before about the aspect of surprises, things you didn't expect. And 
I would find it very helpful, and I think our listeners would find it helpful, if each of you could share any unexpected surprises that you discovered about CPT that you wouldn't have known had you not opted to become a part of the CPT process. And uh, Dr. Jagman, I'm going to start with you on that one. So, yeah, I walked in and I was immediately struck by how many people were taking time voluntarily, 250, 300 people, to come out of busy practices, out of busy professions, and sit and have a three or four or five day debate about very detailed issues. And that depth of understanding was beyond me. So I, as a, as a first-year panel person, I was learning from the advisors. I was learning from people in the room, learning from my fellow colleagues on the panel. I was just surprised at how deep the expertise was. That was the number one thing for me. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Okay, fantastic. Dr. Sinovac. No, I, I, I totally agree with Chris. I think the one thing is, as a practicing physician, you know, you see the CPT code set and, and it's, it's a lot, it's really easy when you're really down into a subspecialty of saying, well, that's the stupidest way that anybody could create a code. And it's obviously been done by a lot of people wearing suits that have no practice experience at all. Um, and you realize that no, it's it's the there there is a dumb person in the room, but it happened to be the one that was just saying that, not the, those other people, uh, because there are a lot of complexities in CPT coding, and I think it you have to sit in that room and listen to the debates. You know, we often joke that uh, CPT editorial panel is the only place where you can spend 15 minutes talking about putting a comma someplace, uh, but we're we're down to that level of detail because those things can mean millions of dollars uh, depending on how you do that. So we have to be very deliberate with that process, but but it, it, but it really is very technical. Um, and we always try to, like Dr. Jagman said, we try to get everybody in the room to, to provide all of their expertise so we can come up with the best possible answer. Okay, fantastic answer. And uh, from a staff perspective, I would agree with you, Dr. Jagman, just the prospect of seeing hundreds of amazing minds coming together uh, on a volunteer basis to make this happen is is truly astounding. It really is. And it's also interesting how that process uh, sustained itself uh, during the COVID pandemic. You know, when so many of us, we had uh, shelter in place and quarantine and travel restrictions of all types. And I'm sure that had an impact on the CPT process itself. Um, So I'll ask both of you, but uh, Dr. Sinovic, particularly your perspective as chair, I'd really like to hear um, how you saw CPT change to address those stresses and challenges during the pandemic. You know, it's a very rigid, structured process uh, that's part of its strength. But how 
that needed to flex to meet the pandemic challenges, a little bit about what that process was like and what you saw in terms of some of the, the changes take place, certainly a change in process, but possibly a change in mindset as well. So I'd like to hear your opinion on that. And then Dr. Jagman, I'll ask you the same question. Well, um, it was a it was an interesting time to be the chair of CPT, to say the least. Um, uh, I still remember because we were actually a CPT editorial panel meeting in San Francisco in February of 2020, and we were trying to figure out what is this COVID thing all about, and what what are we going to have to do? And before this, we had fairly structured. I mean, we had three meetings a year essentially, aside from a, a, some ancillary meetings very structured through that process and i remember talking to uh some of the people in the government and say well we think we're going to need a code for testing and, and we said well what do you really want for a code and they kind of gave us some ideas but really didn't have an idea because nobody did at the time and it's like well when you guys figure that out let us know because that's the way cpt works it's like uh you said submitted application and then we we work with that um, retrospectively, uh, that was the wrong answer to that question uh, because uh, we really needed to work with them. And, and I, I think, you know, February 2020 will be a day that lives on in infamy for CPT along with a lot of our country, but um, or the world for that matter. But we really realized that we had to mobilize uh, and we had a central function uh, in in healthcare. We needed to provide a coding set and we need to be rapid. And so we started having uh, multiple virtual meetings um, through whenever we needed those. Uh, we activated the editorial panel executive committee to help us with that uh, just because it's so hard to get so many people together at the same time. Uh, and and through that process, uh, you know, we'll never go back to that more structured. Uh, we become a lot more nimble uh, we, by necessity, uh, but we still need to maintain that integrity. So we're we constantly battle that. We want to go as fast as possible. We need to be at right, get it right the first time as well. And sometimes the horizon is very cloudy, as you know, and is very difficult. Um, then we go back to our structured meetings, which we also had because, you know, it wasn't just COVID that was going on. There was uh, technology and, uh, and changes also happening. So we had to go to a virtual format. And our favorite story about that is we had our first virtual meeting. I tried to do it from home. I live on the farm. A, a thunderstorm went through and I started and all of a sudden Dr. Dr. Jagman was thrust to chair because I lost my internet connection. Oh, no. So uh, so there were a lot of interesting stories in that process, but uh, it's so nice to be able to get back and have in-person meetings uh, because the quality is just so much better. Um, yeah, the interactions are better and uh, hopefully we can get back to normal and, and, and see this uh, different, but but somewhat more, more familiar. Okay, deal. Dr. Jagman, your thoughts? Yeah, so I, in, I work in a corporate environment where virtual meetings are the, the norm and in face-to-face -face meetings are an exception. Okay. So for me, the technology and such was not so much of a change. However, shepherding all those folks who have diverse interests in a virtual environment where some people tend to speak up, some people to f tend to fade away, some mm. people don't want to participate. So it, it became one of my roles, I think, as vice chair was to make sure every person got an opportunity to speak. We slowed things down, that we, we asked for more questions. 
because when we're face to face and you can see the verbal cues and see the visual cues, hear the verbal cues, wow, it's a different environment. But once we're virtual, you know, you really can't rely upon that as well. So we had to learn on the fly what works in this large environment. Very interesting. And and I think I hear that echoed with many people who had to move to a virtual world. There's the meeting you see and the meeting you hear. And uh, they're not always exactly the same meeting. And you're right. It's almost like one of your senses has been taken away. Uh, and having to relearn that and bring everyone along is quite, quite the task. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with both of you today. Thank you so much. I'm Leslie Prowitz, and thank you for joining us on Moving Medicine. Join us soon for part two of this conversation on Moving Medicine. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.